Hey there, everybody. Welcome. It's the Highfalutin Ski Bum Podcast, episode number 104. And it is your pals, Mario and Brian. Mario, what's going on? Not much. Uh, excited to be here. 104 is a good achievement. Um, I like how they're just rolling out. Now, once we hit 100, it's just kind of just rolling easy now. Yeah, they're, um, they, they are getting easier now that we have gotten this far into our evolution and uh, we're continuing to evolve and grow and change and update and try to put out the best gosh darn podcast that we can. So thank you guys so much for listening. Check us out, skibumpodcast.com. If you want to send an email, skibumpodcast at gmail.com. We are on your socials, twitter.com slash skibumpodcast. Instagram.com slash ski bum podcast, Facebook.com slash ski bum podcast. We're also on uh, high, ugh, what is it? Pinterest as highfalutins and on SoundCloud as highfalutin dash ski bum. If you want to see, hear some of our earlier work. Yes. <laughs> some of our, uh, our B sides, the B side podcast that we have. That's, that's right. Retro zone. <laughs> So let's start it off the way we always do with It's time for Opre today. Mario, what do you got this week? So it's getting a little colder here down in Florida. I mean, it's only getting up to, you know, it's getting down to like 74 in the day. So it's a little chilly. Um, so I'm having a little peppermint tea because I haven't been feeling so well. So uh, unfortunately, peppermint tea is my, my drink of choice today. Um I didn't put any bourbon in it. I was I was kind of trying to be uh, a purist with the with the tea. So trying to keep it healthy. Trying I can respect that. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm doing something. Well, it's a Monday, and it is Thanksgiving week, so you know it's probably going to be a yeah. different week later on, a little bit rougher. But yeah, I'm going with a uh, GT's Synergy Organic Kombucha today. Kombucha, and I have the Euphoria, which. I read the ingredients and it's got kombucha, obviously, pomegranate juice, lemon juice, fresh pressed ginger juice, which you get a lot of, and cayenne, which I did not realize was in here. <laughs> hot ginger like, and hot cayenne. I was nice. like, what is in this? I can't even breathe the fumes from the kombucha. And <laughs> I'll never forget the time that you ordered that hot martini. It was a spicy martini. At was it a margarita? Or mar- uh, is a margarita at the knife and fork. Yes, in Atlantic City. And you were trying to choke that down the entire time you're eating. We're like, dude, just stop drinking it. It's, oh, it's, it's like, obviously killing you. Yeah, it was like jalapeno infused <laughs> tequila. And it was just, oh, it like just burned. In it, like it was extra stuff. And you were just like sweating and like trying to choke it down. Eventually, you're like, yeah, I can't drink this anymore. It was rough. Yeah. Yeah. This one, it's kind of in that same vein, but yeah, the uh, the lemon, the ginger, and the the cayenne. I mean, it's just it, you. Like I said, you open it and you breathe it in, and you start coughing. It's just so potent like little, and strong. It's like pepper spray. You drink a pepper spray. <laughs> yeah, right. Pretty much. <laughs> but it's supposed to be really good for your liver and for your gut flora. Let's get into the ginjula. But we do have a couple of interesting stories, so. I'll start off with the first one. Uh, judge admits jailing people for pot haunts him after cannabis saved his life. Damn. Saved this, his life. This is a crazy story. So this was from your neck of the woods. 
course. This was from Florida. Florida. Um, and this is a Florida judge, Doug Bench, who throughout his career hated marijuana. He's locked up hundreds of people for the plant and did so because he thought it was the right thing to do. Um, he was diagnosed with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or COPD, which can result in a slow and painful death. His life was saved after realizing the benefits of cannabis and treating his disease. Now Bench has made it his life's work to wake people up to the 70 years of lies the U.S. government has told the citizens about marijuana. In a public <laughs> forum of Florida medical marijuana implementation earlier this year, Bench presented a powerful speech to note how the law simply does not go far enough to help those who need access to cannabis. He says he put 311 people in jail for marijuana offenses and that he was wrong. What a and he's now been haunted for 30 years, wondering how many of those people were using cannabis for medical reasons because our government suppressed the information for 70 years. That's right. Mm -hmm. Let me lawsuit against the government for keeping weed away from us. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. But, you know, it's one of those things. You know, the more information comes out, the more people get the truth, the more people will make the decisions that they have to make to take care of, you know, what diseases or what ailments they have. It's just amazing, like, how now, like, just in the era that we are with, like, social media and just everything being so available with the internet and, and everything that they can't really suppress the truth like they used to, which is good. But you realize like how much shit they would suppress like way back, you know? Yeah, I think too, we only had like a limited amount of time to, to, you know, get information in school or on TV. And you know, there's, there's always an agenda to, you know, advertisers or, you know, whatever it will be on the movies or shows. And uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes it's just easier to keep people in the dark, not have them asking questions because once you start opening that can of worms and you start questioning something like, why is this illegal? Then it makes you start questioning a lot of other things. And I think the government likes to keep us fat, dumb, and happy. And the more we are those things, the less we question and challenge our leadership and the roles they provide and the rules that they put upon us. Um, so obviously they want to keep that stuff kind of, you know, an easy, ugly answer. So we, uh, we just stay in the dark and, and just consider it bad. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Crazy. It's very, very interesting. But this is good that he's actually admitted to his mistakes and is now trying to do the right thing. I mean, it's all we really can do in life is just keep gathering more information. And start, if we ha have been doing things wrong, start doing them right as soon as possible. That's right. That's yeah. what's called being a man or being an adult. Yeah. Take, taking uh, ownership of what you've done and and owning it, you know? Exactly. Like yep. Takes a strong person to do that. Um, all right. So next up we have Budweiser's ex-marketing chief sees weed as the next, as the new craft beer. Um, so this is a story about um, Chris Burgrave, Burgrave, Burgrave V gravy um and he was the former marketing chief for anheuser-busch uh inbev and um which if anybody doesn't know they brew budweiser beer is one of the beers that they brew um 
but he is actually, he left Anheuser-Busch and he's moving on to the cannabis industry. So part of this is they talk about like how he's um, made an investment in Green Rush Group, which is a San Francisco startup, which wants to aim to be the Amazon of weed. <laughs> so they actually did fundraising and all that stuff. Um, and then um, he also co-founded this company called Toast, which makes pre-rolled joints. So the former beer exec is one of many entrepreneurs and investors that are going into cannabis. Um, the other thing that this article mentions is that big beer um, in the form of Constellation Brands, which sells Corona in the U.S., um, has they made investment in Canopy Growth uh, Corp, which is a Canadian seller of medical marijuana products. So now the beer industry has actually one of a, we know one of the the major beer producers actually has an uh, official investment in a uh, cannabis company. So it's kind of interesting to see that you know you have all these speculators, uh, and now you actually have companies, uh, you know, diversifying and investing in uh, cannabis. So it's very interesting to see, you know. Um, yeah, I think all those big companies have to see the writing on the wall and have to just be hedging their bets. Yeah. You know, because there's no way that they're, uh, you know, that, you know, there's not going to, once this does get legalized, that there's not going to be, you know, people dabbling in there and, and, you know, seeing if it works for them. So these guys are, I mean, they're big, big corporations. They're, they're big businesses. They've, they've gotten to be that big over time, not by being stupid, by kind of, you know, analyzing the market and seeing how things have changed and evolved and grown and being prepared for that. You know, that's what a lot of these big brewing, uh, big beer companies have seen. You know, they've been buying up these small craft beer companies because they've seen the trends over time right. that people want to be, you know, drinking these, you know, these craft beers. Well, interestingly, um, this guy who's been in the beer industry for a long time, he actually said, the cannabis industry is growing. He sees a similarity in the way craft beer started. So he said for the longest time it was ignored and then it exploded. So it's kind of like once it hits that critical mass, they're thinking cannabis is just going to just explode and get this huge, you know, push. Um, the other thing that's good about it is because you actually have companies now that are making big investments and people that are investing, it's in everybody's best interest to actually start looking at the federal ban because that's why other big companies like Amazon are shying away from the industry right now because there's a federal ban on it and they just don't want to deal. Understandably, they don't want to deal with any mess, you know, from getting into that into that space. So, I yeah, think the federal ban they kind of it, it goes into so many other parts of the business too, where you can't have yeah. a bank account and, right. and you can't things over state lines it gets really tricky and you know really quickly when you try to set up a business model so yeah hopefully this will be more people focusing on that federal ban to get it changed you know yeah i think once they start you know once there hits that tipping point of the number of states that have successfully legalized and you know really haven't had any problems things only improving tax revenue, um, you know, lower opioid addictions. I think it's slowly going to be realized by, you know, folks in the federal government that it's been a waste of time and resources to keep this illegal. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's just craziness. We're all evolving. We're all growing. Let's do it together. Work together and get this done. You know, 
That's right. Let's go to Ski News. So we are, uh, this is the, we're filming this the, the Monday before Thanksgiving. So it's November the 20th. And there is snow falling all over the country now, and places are popping open. It sounds so, like it's a winter wonderland in a lot of places, man. Yeah, it's getting nice. So the uh, NOAA, I always forget what that stands for. Is it National? National Oceanic. And then that's where I lose it. <laughs> administration. I just remember Noah. Atmos- atmospheric, I think, isn't it? Administration. Oceanic, Maybe. atmospheric. I don't know. Something along those lines. So they're saying the La Nina pattern has moved in and it's likely to persist throughout the winter. Nice. Um, An advisory issued by NOAA's Climate Prediction Center. Uh, Scientists say that there's greater than 50% chance La Nina will be in place February through April 2018. This would be the second winter in a row that La Nina... um, will be in place. Nice. And like last year, forecasters expect this one to be weak. Um, huh. So think about what your ski area was like last year. And if you're in North America, I can pretty much guarantee you it was pretty awesome. So yeah. it's looking like we're going to get more of that this year, which again, fingers crossed. If it's like last year, it could be another epic ski season. Yeah, that'd be cool. So, okay, uh, NOAA, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Let's see, we put it together. Yeah, we got it there. Way to go, us. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I like that. That They always have the good maps like that. I like the map they have on there. I always like them for hurricanes, too. They always do a really good job yeah. modeling stuff out. Well, they break out the for the hurricane, too, and, and you could see, like, what's developing. They have a whole tracker. Yeah. That's big business down here in Florida. Oh, I bet. Aren't they based out of Miami? Uh, I don't know. It probably would make sense because Miami is always like on the bullseye for hurricanes. Yeah. Um, All right. Next up. All right. So if anybody doesn't know, Killington, Vermont is hosting uh, two, um, two World Cup races this weekend on Friday after Thanksgiving. Saturday um, and Sunday, yeah. Saturday and Sunday. So uh, there's five reasons not to miss Friday of the Xfinity Killington Cup. Um, so the five reasons they give, and this is uh, a sponsored site, sponsored by Killington. <laughs> uh, so they're saying stay Friday night and be ready first thing. Uh, number two, they're saying watch athlete bib presentations and fireworks shows, which is kind of cool. Uh, you get the the flare and the camera camera shots. Um, Troy Ramey free concert originally from Woodstock, Vermont. Troy starred in the twelfth season of The Voice, so he's going to be doing the national anthem um, prior to the races and uh, probably performing somewhere in town. Uh, and then there's going to be an autograph signing by Ressie Stiegler um, and TGR's Rogue Elements movie is going to premiere at the Snowshed Lodge at 7 p.m. So that should be pretty cool. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on this weekend, and it looks like, just looking at the weather, that Killington has lucked out again <laughs> two years in a row getting nice, getting cold enough weather they can make snow for this race. 
And they even known uh, on the map is like, wow, they always get snow in Killington. <laughs> yeah, I think they have it locked up next year as well, the really? World Cup. You um, know, they, they get so many people at that event because it's in the Northeast, you know? Oh, yeah, it's Thanksgiving weekend. <sighs> Excuse me, it's a really good weekend to have it. And uh, yeah, I mean, we were, we've been up there you know, in December sometimes, and it's pretty lousy. So they've lucked out the last two years having great weather because, again, it's it's benefiting the mountain tremendously because they're getting a lot of great press. They're getting a lot of a lot more interest, a lot more people coming up there. Yeah. But that in, in turn, they're also being able to invest more money into the mountain, which is great because they're creating, you know, new services, improved snowmaking, a lot of great features that make it, you know, why it's one of the best mountains in the Northeast. So, yeah, I think they're still planning to build that um that that village too, right? Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know if it's a. It sounds like it's all systems go, but I haven't been paying attention the last few months. But when I go up there in a couple of weeks, I'll uh, yeah, put my year, ear to the ground, as they say. <laughs> last year, they had a lot of posters up about like buying property and uh, village plans. They had maps and everything for it, so it looked like it was pretty well, you know underway for the planning stages at least so yeah they've been uh i think they've been kind of off and on about it the last decade or so you yeah. know the financial crisis that kind of put a damper on things and then there was a lot of pushback from you know people you know, locals that are there but it might actually happen i mean you know it's kind of the the, the way to have a successful ski town is to have that that resort layout these days so there aren't many in new england that have that so it could be a a differentiator for him. Yeah, yeah. Plus, you know, I, I always speculate. I'm always wondering, like, is uh, Vale or uh, Aspen going to buy Killington one of these days? I, like, I wonder, you know. That's true. That would be a crown jewel in the East for one of those groups. So Yeah. I mean, Stowe is getting ready to open, and that's part of Vale now, right? Yeah. Is it Vale or As It's part of Vale, I think. I think it's Vale, yeah. It's Epic Pass, right? That's Vale. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's everything's on, you know, it's all game on. So be interesting to see how everything develops. Yeah. All right. Next up, North American resort operator introduces new policy that all mountain workers must wear a helmet. So Michigan based Boyne resorts uh, and they operate uh, a bunch of different resorts across the U.S. and Canada. Um, this the new policy follows a death in March. Um, for somebody that wasn't wearing a helmet uh, while they were working on a steep trail at Sugarloaf, Maine. So they were fined $11,000, $11,000 plus dollars, um, you know, by the uh, the administration that, that um, you know, polices that. Uh, OSHA, yeah. Yeah, so they, um, they're saying he was skiing up to pick up a co-worker ski that had gotten away from him and fell, and uh, he was transported uh, from uh, he transitioned from one uh, snow type to another, lost his balance, and fell, suffering blunt force trauma to his head. So um, the guy's name was Alexander Witt. Very sad that he passed, but um, as a result of that, now they're saying that all employees need to wear helmets, which I'm surprised they haven't done that before, especially just for insurance purposes, you know? Yeah, that's one of those things too, you know? Uh, I mean, I, I get the old school you know, skiers who are used to wearing a, just a regular hat. But I mean, what there really isn't any sort of, you're not really losing out on anything 
wearing a helmet versus not. You know, you're getting a little it's extra warmer. warmth. Yeah, it's warmer. It's it. Yeah. You know, it's definitely uh, helps you in a crash. I mean, you got to throw a couple bucks on into buying one. That's about it. But yeah, yeah I mean, there's really no negative. You know, downside. Well, you know, a lot of times, well, you know, on the lift, you watch the uh, the the guys doing, you know, dealing with a snowblower. And I always think I'm like, yeah, that would be more comfortable and safer to wear a helmet, you know, because they'd be warmer. And there's a lot of equipment that, you know, they're dealing with these hoses and big metal, you know, pieces that go on everything. And it's like that thing hits you in the head. You're going to get knocked out. You're you going to have a bad time. Yeah, you're gonna, it's going to ruin your day. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, it's pretty uh pretty interesting to see, but I'm actually surprised that uh, more resorts aren't doing this or haven't done it already. Yeah, I'm sure we're gonna see. Well, I mean, aren't aren't there some resorts that are saying aren't they requiring it for for skiers now too? In some of them, not just their the workers. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised, but yeah, I mean, it's I they always did it for kids under a certain age. It's just kind of oh, like that's bike what riding. it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's like bike riding. Like you go out and ride a bike. Kids have to have, you know, but adults don't have to wear a helmet. Um, but yeah, I, I, th- I just, it's one of those social things though. Like we, I think we've talked about this before where you go out to the, you, you're on the mountain, you look around, like everybody's wearing a helmet. And if somebody's not wearing a helmet, people are like, did you forget your helmet? Like, why aren't you wearing a helmet? <laughs> like just out of curiosity, like why, why don't you wear a helmet? And, you know, you get some, answer back and and that's it you know yeah yeah i think that's one of those things too you know with the younger generation coming up they're going to be so used to wearing them from the start that it's not even going to be a big deal they're just going to be wearing them automatically yeah well now that i've been wearing one you know once i started wearing a helmet it just felt comfortable and it felt uncomfortable not to wear the helmet so i'm kind of like i don't feel right if i'm not wearing a helmet now yeah it almost nice. makes you feel like you're going you're doing something more badass because you're like whoa i need to wear a helmet for what i'm doing <laughs> that's right <laughs> well you just think about like the falls and stuff like i think about when i learned to ski i would have needed a helmet i should have had a helmet then because i fell a lot it's like you know that was pretty stupid not to have a helmet back then but nobody wore helmets back then you know yeah that's true i would have looked like a dummy a, a big uh you know we had a football helmet on Football helmet, like what would I put? Yeah, like a football helmet, like yeah, crazy. Well, that's good for cool, the though. it's good for the helmet manufacturers because I'm sure there's a pretty decent markup in their yeah. uh, you know what the what it costs to produce one. Dude, I th- I think I'm gonna wear a football helmet. That'd be kind of cool. No, it's a terrible idea. Oh yeah, it's terrible but awesome. Get the uh, the kicker helmet, like the one bar across. Oh, that'd be cool. Old school, yeah, old schooling it up. And then you got to get like some old throwback. Uh, team on there like the tampa bay with the uh buccaneer on it okay like a larry zonka jersey larry, that's right <laughs> yeah or like uh the old patriots uh helmet with the with the patriot on the side oh yeah he's got a name doesn't he Isn't he like pat the patriot or something um yeah he does i don't know what it is yeah it's th- Ma- pat the mass hole there you go <laughs> <laughs> So they, there's tons of peoples from Massachusetts down here. And that's what they refer to them as. Uh, do they? Mass holes, right? Mass holes. Yep. I actually saw a guy wearing a shirt that said mass hole on it. <laughs> I was like, he's proud to be a mass hole. You know what? He's, uh, he's being what he is, and I respect that. 
Yeah, I was yeah, like, that's pretty cool. He's totally owning it. I don't know if he really needed to wear like five inch large letter shirt to say that. <laughs> but he's proud. He's proud. You know, he's very proud. <laughs> so it's pretty It'd be great if he was like in witness protection too, like one of those like whitey vulture, <laughs> yeah, like associates, <laughs> They're, like ratted on him. Yeah, right. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. All right. Next up, this is a very sad news that came out last week. Um, David Poisson, the alpine skier, he died last week in a fall in training in Canada. And they said that um, he uh, had lost his ski and then crashed through safety netting and hit a tree. Damn. And, I mean, this guy is one of the best skiers in the world. And, to uh, you know, it kind of puts the whole sport into perspective that, you know, you can be that good and still, you know, get yourself into that much trouble that you can uh, – can end it all it's yeah. it's it's sad it's scary it's it's terrible and uh ugh, it's uh, just something that you kind of always have to remember yeah that's horrible when you, when you are skiing what a you know what a dangerous but you know fantastic sport that it is mm. yeah it's a horrible way to go and i know there was an outpouring of uh you know sadness and uh you know kind words that people were we're talking about David on because, you know, he's been in the, he's, he was 35 years old. So he's been in the ski, you know, um, the ski racing circuit for, for over a decade now. So he's made a lot of friends and, you know, connected and, you know, inspired a lot of people. So to have that happen is, you know, mm. extremely sad. Yeah. That's really bad. Yeah. We're still investigating though, uh, you know, for more precise circumstances of the accident. So, I'm sure we'll find out more. Yeah. Yeah. In the coming days. All right. Well, there's another death and a lawsuit going on. Um, Connecticut woman is suing Mount Snow after her husband died during a snowboarding trip uh, there early last year. So uh, I guess this guy was out there and he hit a tree. So he was snowboarding. I don't know what he was doing, but he ran right into a tree. And uh, according to, to the complaint followed uh filed in vermont um he took a chairlift to the resort to access ripcord which is the steepest most difficult trail at mount snow um and he snowboarded down the trail several times before uh but uh ripcord had been closed for most of the ski season due to lack of snow and the complaint is saying that the conditions were hand-packed and icy without moguls uh, that are typically known to exist on the trail. Uh, and there's an outlying of, uh, outcropping of trees on the westerly side of ripcord, which had double pitch, both north, northerly and westerly. So they're saying he fell about third way down the hill and then began to slide down the steep, icy pitch, uh, and attempting to dig, uh, his edge into the, into the, uh, ice to slow down. So they're saying um, he, as he was falling, he encountered an unnatural object known as a snowmaking whale, um, which is a hard pile of ungroomed man-made snow um, entirely iced over is what the complaint is saying. So they're saying that jettisoned him chest first into a tree. So Oof. I don't know, man. It's just, this is a whole, like, they got some whole account of the whole thing, but uh, I don't know. I mean... 
you wanted to go on the steepest, most gnarly trail, and you did, and it was icy conditions. Like, I don't know. Some some of that's just luck of the draw. I mean, you know. Yeah, you know, I I wonder too. Like, it doesn't mention anything about a helmet in this oh. story. They don't say whether he had one or didn't have one on. Yeah, because I'm sure that would definitely play into it. It said he was 56. So again, that could be that that older generation that never wore helmets. That could be. Yeah, that, that was my initial thought. Again, I don't know. I don't have any inside information. Um, and then, you know, was he maybe, did he have a couple drinks at lunch before he went out there? Like, we don't know that either. Yeah. So there's some unanswered questions here. Um, you know, I obviously I understand that, you know, this, this woman is upset and, she, you know, she wants some sort of restitution. But isn't like part of just when you buy the lift ticket, isn't there a whole big kind of like legalese in the back saying that you assume all responsibility and, you know, they're well, that's not. Just it. I mean, you know, the conditions, be careful. You got to know what you're able to ski or board on. And, you know, to some point they can't, you can't nerf the world. You can't nerf the whole ski area and you got to take accountability for what you decided to go down on. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't really see it as they were as negligent. It's it's nature, you know, like, so they had this snowmaking thing there, but hey, I don't know. I'm not involved in the lawsuit. I just, uh, I don't know. That's just my opinion on, on things in general. Yeah, I mean, there's just, there is no personal responsibility anymore. Everyone else wants to blame someone else for their problems. And, well, dude, you know, that was like we went to Jackson Hole and there's like, they have a tiny little thing that says cliff. And you're like, yeah, let's not go that way. And you go around and it's like, yeah, that was a, a, like a 20 foot drop. And, you know, it's if you want to go off the 20 foot drop, go right ahead. But we're not going to nerf the whole part, you know, the whole place and say you can't do it. If you want to do it, and some people do, they're going off that cliff, you know? Yeah. And they shouldn't have to nerf the world. You know, people do have to pay a little bit of attention and be responsible for themselves. Yeah. I mean, they'll do the right thing. They'll close, you know, trails down if it's really bad. Um, but if it's open and it's really bad conditions, you gotta, you gotta, you know, not go on it. You know, that's, that's your, your choice. Yeah. Yeah. I just, you know, I'm just not a fan of this litigious society we're now where everyone has to sue for everything. So, yeah. Uh, and, and one weird thing too, in that article. Um, so, what Mount Snow's attorneys are saying is that Deacon failed to make a reasonable and proper use of his senses while snowboarding. He failed to keep a proper lookout, failed to take evasive action to avoid falling in the manner that he fell. Uh, trees, snowmaking whales, and moguls were not obstructed. They were open and obvious on the trail the day of the incident. He assumed the risk of injury. Mm -hmm. And then one thing that's weird, it said in his obituary that he was a phenomenal athlete who had hiked to the summit of Tuckerman's Ravine in New Hampshire and snowboarded down the ravine on a trip several months before his death. That doesn't sound safe. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't sound like he was keeping it in check, keeping it together. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, again, it's a terrible story, but it's, uh, it's only getting uglier now with, with the lawsuit in place. So. Yeah. No. See, we'll see how it turns out, right? Yep. We sure will. I just hope this isn't one of those things where all these different ski resorts have to start 
having, you know, teams of lawyers on hand all the time for people who feel the need to sue over every little thing. Right. Not saying that this is a tiny thing. This is, you know, a terrible thing, but this, these sort of lawsuits tend to open floodgates and, you know, you don't want it to be at a point where the resorts are cutting back on amenities and improvements in the resort to start just having to field a team of lawyers because yeah. of all these lawsuits they have to defend from. Not good. Not cool. Yeah. Or start closing down trails because, you know, if it's remotely a little bit icy or dangerous, then, you know, they don't want to take the chance. And Well, that's going to lead to just the whole resort shutting down. Exactly. That's what the unfortunate end of all this is going to be. Yep. Without being sued into closure. Jeopardizing all the resorts. Yep. Which we do not want. Personal responsibility, people. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right? And then one final thing on ski news. Now, we've been going over some of the movies that have been coming out lately. And one of the ones we mentioned a few months back when we did our trailers episode was Tanner Hall's new film, Triumph. And this is a real short one. It's only four, you know, it's a little bit under 14 minutes long. And I, uh, I watched it last weekend and I really enjoyed it. He, uh, it's a different approach to things. You know, he's always, obviously does his amazing, you know, tricks and stunts, but it's more of a, uh, him over time because they brought him back to, I think it's called like Craig's crag or Craig's ravine or Craig's crevasse that he skied, I think maybe 15 years ago or, uh, maybe, it was 2005, so 12 years ago, and he was trying to launch over it, and he came up a little bit short and broke his ankles, both of them, and both of his heels. Damn. And he finally went back and was able to, you know, kind of get revenge and, you know, kind of conquer that obstacle. So that's why it's called Triumph. But it talks about how he's had, you know, he's getting older now. He's got to work out more, showing some of his exercises. It was, uh, it was really good. It kind of showed him through the years, showing like what he was like back in the day. And he's like, now I'm not really like, I can't drink the way I did back then. I still, you know, smoke a lot of weed. And I, he said that he started doing that more so after that accident because they were prescribing him tons of painkillers and Oxycontin, opioids. Damn. And he's like, I, he's like, this makes me feel like crap. He's like, he's like, the weed actually helped me get better and motivated me to start working out and getting back into it. So, it's probably the smartest thing he he did for his life because think think about it, he might have been addicted to opioids then. It's true. How many people have done it now? You know, it's uh, it's it's an epidemic. Yeah. So it was interesting. It was you know very different than his previous ones, like Ring the Alarm from last year, where uh, you know it was just very different vibe to the videos and again it's pretty short 14 minutes you can bang it out pretty quick uh we'll have a link in the show notes but uh definitely check it out i think you guys will enjoy it very cool that's going to lead us into our main topic so what are we talking about brian all right so a few weeks back i went to a ski utah event in new york city and met a bunch of people and chatted with some folks and one of the folks that i I ended up kind of running into and speaking with a bit was Paul Marshall. And Paul is the, he's the head of marketing for Ski Utah. 
and I was able to reach out to him and to do a little interview. So nice. for our main topic, we are going to talk to Paul and uh, ask him some questions. So I hope you guys enjoy it. All right, cool. And we're live. So special guest today, uh, I want to welcome Paul Marshall to the podcast this week. Paul, thank you very much for, for joining us. Um, if you, you could, to give a little introduction about yourself. Sure. Uh, Paul Marshall here with the uh, Director of Communications for Ski Utah. Uh, Ski Utah is the uh, marketing arm of all 14 ski resorts in the wonderful state of Utah. We pride ourselves on accessibility as well as having the greatest snow on earth. Um, for those in the back east region, you probably are well familiar with our, our Park City resorts, Deer Valley and, and Park City. Um, Park City is a bail-owned resort, and Deer Valley recently was part of the big merger with the KSL um, project. Uh, also, you probably heard of you know the Cottonwood resorts with Alta and Snowbird and Brighton and Solitude, but if you haven't heard of the smaller ones, we have Sundance, south of uh, of Salt Lake City. Um, up in the Ogden area, we have Snow Basin, which was home of some of the uh, events for the 2002 Olympics. Also up there is Powder Mountain in Nordic Valley. Uh, and then our, our four that kind of hit the, uh, kind of hit the, the re full region of Utah. We have two up north, Cherry Peak. It's going into their third season and Beaver Mountain, which is uh, home of uh, as the oldest still running family owned resort. And then down south, kind of skiing among the Red Rock, we have Eagle Point and Bryant Head. Excellent. Yeah, I actually, uh, you know, I, I met Paul for the first time at the Ski Utah event in New York City, which is an, a great event. So thank you for, for the invite to that. Um, and I actually was speaking to, um, I, oh my, I, his name escapes me, from Eagle Point. And he, uh, he was really, his pitch was great. I mean, it was, uh, you know, he's talking about how, you know, it's a bit off the, the beaten path, but I guess for Southern California, for those folks, it's a pretty. Uh, it's it's not that far of a, a trip versus going to something like a uh, you know to Mammoth or up to Tahoe. So it's really cool how all these different all your mountains out there, they all have a, a, a unique a unique aspect that makes them worth checking out. For sure, Eagle Point's a a, a gem that sits in. Nobody's probably heard of this range, but the the Tushar Mountains. Um, you know, there's some backcountry yurts up in there, but they. They uh they're deep in there and they're only open actually for those um for those you know long weekend visits they they're only open to the public Friday th through Monday um and yeah you're right they do have a drive it's the drive market from the Southern California and Vegas I mean it's the same distance in the car as you would be driving to Mammoth but instead of doing a a switchback long uh canyon road it's, it's I fifteen going eighty five miles an hour. Um, which makes it a little bit more enjoyable, I guess. And I guess to the uh, you know the if as a family going out there, the rates are a lot more affordable, a lot more reasonable at Eagle Point than if you're heading up to Mammoth. Correct. Yes. I mean, it's not it's not your big resort type of feel. It's uh, it's got a very you know the same person who's going to help you with rentals is is going to be your your server at night. Um, you know, it's a very family oriented family. Everybody has, as a man of many hats up there. Um, you know, you, you kind of, you meet everybody who's kind of on the mountain. You're going to get to know it's, 
Uh, but the rates are incredible. And just 30 minutes down the road, farther south is Brian Head and kind of has the same family vibe as well. So, you know, if you're looking to kind of hit up two mountains in one weekend, it's a, it's a great area. And then also they, they're right in the Red Rock region. So you can go to Bryce Canyon or hit Zion National Park. You know, some of these national parks that are that seem to see a lot of visits during the summer, you hit them in the off season, nobody thinks about it, and you can get, you know, slot canyoneering but all by yourself, just a little bit colder temps. That's great. Yeah, it's a great way to, to sell the vacation. If you have people in the family who may not want to do a full week of skiing, you can say, hey, we'll go check out Bryce's or Grand Canyon, and then you, uh, you duck out for a few days and get some turns in. Not a yeah. bad little vacation coup there. No, it's it's – it's not your traditional ski vacation to say the least, you know, it's not ski in, ski out. Uh, you know, I'm only focusing on skiing, but it, it, uh, it has, um, just, uh, a very adventure focused kind of, I'm going to get a, it's a winter adventure vacation, which is personally, I I really enjoy. Nice. So you've been down to those resorts as well and you've, you've skied down there or do you ski or board? Uh, I can do both, but I, I generally ski now. I mean, we have, uh, two resorts in Utah. I mean, one of the three in the United States that are ski only. So <laughs> it tends to kind of keep a lot, a lot of people on skis around here, but the, don't get me wrong. Um, we have some, a rich history in snowboarding. I mean, from Brighton resort and powder mountain, they're, they're kind of where the snowboarding originated. I mean, the urban scene in Salt Lake City and the snowboard scene is is by far very rich, um, and you know some of the, some of the best snowboarders in the world have come out of Brighton, and they we do have a very strong snowboarding culture. Just we also have a very strong ski culture as well. Yeah, don't like a, at least a, a quarter, a third of all the X game like snowboard big air event guys come out of Park City. I don't know the exact stat, <laughs> but I know that in the Last Olympics in Sochi, we in the we got two two young kids both out of Park City, one in freestyle skiing, one in freestyle snowboard, both won gold. Oh, that's awesome! So now you were saying now Ski Utah is actually the marketing arm of all the uh, the resorts in Utah. Correct. How long have it, has uh, Ski Utah been been operating in this regard? Um, we have been operating as a company called. Uh, the Utah Ski and Snowboard Association since 1972, 70, I mean, it's 42 years, 42 years we've been in business. Uh, You know, it started more as a, you know, an associate, well, still an association base, but it, you know, we focused on kind of public policy. Um, And then over the years, when a lot of it was print, um, you know, advertising, it made sense for a lot of the resorts to kind of come together and do these big co-ops. So that's how we kind of dabbled in the marketing world. And then it's only grown there. And we've kind of been able to, you know, still kind of do the same kind of process just with minor tweaks, kind of with digital marketing. And then obviously PR is, and my role has been a, a, a staple of, of this, this organization for a long time. I mean, as we all know, it's, it's easier to ski to get someone on the hill and talk about skiing than it is to talk about it. You know, I mean, New York's great. We had some beers and it's great to kind of get excited together, but there's nothing better than sharing a chairlift ride with somebody. Oh, absolutely. 
Yeah, I, I've noticed over the last couple of years, you know, you guys have been doing a lot more advertising. Maybe maybe it's, I just noticed it, but uh, it seems like out towards you know the East Coast over here, a lot more of the uh, the advertising on TV for oh, you know, make sure you know fly out from from JFK. We've got you know eight flights on Delta every day to Salt Lake City. Um, have you guys been pushing more on the East Coast the last few years, or is it just me noticing it more now? Um, a little, maybe a little bit of both, to be honest. Uh, you know, we've always seen the East Coast as a, as a big market of ours, but co- we're, we're really trying to make some big strides there. We've seen a lot of potential. I mean, our bread and butter has always been the West Coast. I mean, you can fly to from California, Southern California, or San Francisco, or Portland, or Seattle, um, and be in Salt Lake City in, you know, an hour with the time change. And, you know, it's, there's so many flights and, but Salt Lake City is a Delta hub, and as Delta has grown, they've embraced the tourism industry here, and um, we're in the process of a some $3 billion renovation of the Salt Lake City airport right now. Oh, um, cool. And so that will also allow competitors to have more spots here, but Delta to grow. Um, and with that, we've seen a tremendous growth kind of in these other markets. I mean, everybody's been going up. It's funny, you know, back east, I'm originally from back east, and when I told people I was moving out to Utah, they had still had no idea where that was. So we still, <laughs> have, we still have room to grow. I mean, everybody thinks that the Rockies start and stop at, in Colorado. Yeah, um, right. And so, and then the next set of mountain ranges is Tahoe. So we get we kind of get overlooked sometimes. Um, but we also have, and, and we've done on-mountain studies on this, we have an amazing return rate. So it's People who have actually come to Utah know what's up and they they keep coming back, but it's getting someone to make the leap uh, and try it out first. And I think back to your question, we've really tried, really put some efforts in the Northeast, um, you know, New Jersey, all the way down to DC um, because the Epic Pet, well, these mountain mergers have really kind of helped with that process. We have, Vale fi- finally tapping into the East Coast market with buying Stowe. So now the Epic mm-hmm. back East. We have Mountain Collective that's been there for a couple of years, um, but with the mer- purchase of Stowe, but then they instantly went and brought on Sugarbush. Um, the Max Pass is back East, which is I know is a big pass back East, but we have a reciprocatory, a reciprocal Mountains here. Um, and then also now with this new KSL project, um, that we don't know the official name of yet, but they have, uh, what are that? They have Stratton, I think back East or I think, and then there, there's a couple in Virginia, um, and they have Mount Treblant, which is part of it. So anything that was part of Interwest. So with those multi-mountain passes, it only makes sense to kind of, you know, up the ante in our marketing in that, in those areas, because, if you already have purchased an Epic Pass and you go to Stowe a couple weekends, might as well make a trip to Park City. I mean, the lift ticket's already paid for. Um, you know, get that one that one trip out west. Uh, or with Mountain Collective, we have three resorts that are part of it here. So that's like the most opportune moment. You get a Mountain Collective Pass, you do, you know, a weekend at Sugarbush. But then if you come out here, you can get six days of skiing are free already. Um, yeah. And- yeah, it's been crazy what an arms race it's been with these different, you know, the different companies buying up the resorts over the last year or so. 
you know, with our podcast, we try to whenever there's any sort of ski news, we always we always talk about that in the in the weekly podcast. And uh, it's been hard to keep track with all this stuff going on, especially with the KSL kind of coming out of nowhere and just all of a sudden trying to challenge Vale in their uh, their previous dominance. Well, I think it's a different. I mean, I don't know all the ins and outs, and I'd rather kind of just focus on what's what's happening here in in Utah. But uh, I think the the KSL thing is, you know, it's a different, it's a different beast altogether. They, they targeted resorts that are, um, already, you know, smooth machines. Um, and they're all different in product. Uh, Vail does an amazing job of producing a product in mountain, um, that you can grow to love, respect, and know what to expect. Uh, and their mountains across the entire country, you know, are all done right and done well. And it, it's really a benefit to the industry um, where KSL, we'll see what happens. They've picked a lot of resorts that are, that are not, that are very different in mentality and, um, you know, structure. And, and so we'll see kind of how that unfolds. I mean, they, they have a, they have a bunch of resorts that are ski and snowboard friendly, but then they purchased Deer Valley, which is ski only. And Deer Valley plans to stay, as of now, ski only. So, how do you market uh, a pass where you're you're not al- you're not allowing some of the pass holders onto one of the resorts and stuff like that? It'll be interesting to see kind of what unfolds um, with the pass. But hopefully, and the goal is to kind of, and I would imagine their goal is to kind of find a pass that is uh, comparable or competitive with the Epic Pass to kind of help, you know, with. It would try to gather market share and also grow the love of the sport. I mean, we're all kind of in it together um, to help grow this sport uh, and what we all love to do. And, you know, these types of passes to, that make it affordable and, and having competitive passes that kind of rival the other one, you know, really offer an opportunity opportunity to help grow the sport. Yeah, definitely. And you made a good point before, you know, if, if someone does buy, you know, is is a, a Vermont skier and they're in Stowe and then, you know, they have this opportunity now to use the Epic Pass and to go out to uh, to one of these resorts in Utah, you know, it, it is. It's a no-brainer then because if you already have the pass, why wouldn't you just go and, and use it there? It's a, it's a smart move on their part. It is. It is. So now I know um, you guys always do a couple of uh, like different events and promotions every year. Well, uh, last year you guys did the uh, the Monster Dump one, right, with Monster Energy Drink. Correct. So that was what if there was a certain amount of snow, you could get a yeah. free rental. Yes, uh, we did like a small promo last year um, that was local based. It was if there was a, we've for years uh, we've had Monster on as a partner and we branded our. 12 inches or more dumps out of called monster dumps. And last year we partnered with some of the local uh, rental shops kind of on that and offered and with a a big local ski company here and offered free rentals. If it ever, if it snowed more than 12 inches and if you bought two monsters, it was a small promo, um, but it was really the focus of the whole thing is to show that, you know, we got, 33 monster dumps last year. So we had 33 days of 12 inches more snow, Um, you know, and we poke fun at this a little bit, but some Colorado resorts, um, not that we, 
we love our Colorado resorts, but uh, they, they, uh, they, um, they're stoked on six inches and we hold firm, we hold firm to our 12 inch or more powder days. Um, and so we've, we, uh, we had 33 last year and we usually average, you know, somewhere in the, in the low twenties. Um, but hopefully we'll get, we'll get 33 again this year. And maybe more, right? Maybe more. Yeah, I know. You mentioned before just, uh, you know, people always think about going west and they go to, to Colorado. And I know I went to Utah for the first time. I think it was back in t- uh, 2014. And I was just amazed just how easy it was. You know, the direct flight out, you know, 45 minutes. I skated Snowbird that time. And 45 mm-hmm. minutes to get there. I mean, it could not have been simpler. And e- everything was just so smooth you know the transportation from the airport checking in getting onto the mountain i mean it was fantastic the only thing that messed me up was the elevation because i was i'd had a beer or two and went right onto the mountain and wasn't adjusted wasn't acclimated to the uh, elevation and it was a very short afternoon but that was my fault everything else on your guys end was super smooth even with all our session ales here even with our the 3.2 still got me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, it's so funny. We see a trend in the market these days. Everybody, everybody out of state wants to make a session ale. Um, you know, all these microbreweries all over the world, and they want to make a session ale, but that's all Utah's had forever. So, you know, we're the leader of the session ales. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely a different uh, beer experience when you go out to Utah. But you guys uh, – there's a bunch of great breweries making some really good stuff out there. There are. There are some great breweries and great distilleries. And, you know, it's, you know, we get sometimes a little bad publicity around our, that you can't get a drink, but it's totally not true. And <laughs> it, you know, the opera scene is, is strong and that goes hand in hand with the ski scene, the ski scene. And there's plenty of different varieties of beers. And, and as you said, you can still get a little tipsy even if you're just drinking those three twos. That's true. Now, did um, was it the 2002 Olympics that that changed kind of the uh, the alcohol and apres scene in Utah? I don't I don't really know how it kind of unfolded. Um, you know, obviously with the Olympics, things got a little things progressed a little bit faster than probably what they were, but. Um, We've had breweries in Utah. I mean, Wasatch and Squatters have been here since the 80s. I mean, Red Rock has been around. Uenta has been uh, been around for a long time. I mean, there's there's some really strong microbreweries here that have been here for forever, and they they really try to embrace this outdoor industry that we're known for. Yeah, definitely. So um, is there anything – uh, that you guys are doing and that you want to talk about for the upcoming season? Any big events or promotions or things we should be aware of? Uh, I, yes, I do have a couple. One would be there's a ski three pass up in Ogden. Now, so for all you mountain collective folks who have uh, the snow basin um, as part of the mountain collective new this year, you get two days up there. But on top of that, Ski, um, visit Ogden, which is the town just outside of Snow Basin and where Powder Mountain is, is offering a ski three pass. And the ski three pass is with two nights of lodging in Ogden, um, which, by the way, Snow Basin and 
Powder Mountain has some lodging, but Snow Basin doesn't have any on-mountain lodging, so you have to stay kind of in Ogden anyway. So with two nights of lodging in their downtown hotels, um, they have a, a pass you can buy for like 150 bucks, and you get a day at Powder Mountain, a day at Snow Basin, and a day at Nordic Valley. Um, so what I'm saying is, is it's a great opportunity for your Mountain Collective folks to kind of get to Ogden. You'll get get the Ski 3 Pass, and then get three days, nice long weekend at Snow Basin, and an extra day at Powder Mountain or Nordic Valley. Um, so, do you need the, do you need the Mountain Collective to get that Ski Three Pass, or is it independent? It's independent completely. I'm just trying to tack on the fact that I, I would hope that a lot of people who have bought that who are in East Coast have bought that Mountain Collective Pass. It's new to have Snow Basin on it this year, so it kind of just it's a it's an undiscovered mountain. I mean, there's it's so beautiful. Um, it's owned by the same family that owns Sun Valley, so you can expect the snow to be great, the grooming to be great, the lodges to be awesome, um, the food is great, but it, it's kind of in kind of a little bit separated from everything else, and so there's the slopes are empty and well, not empty, empty, but you know they're you're not going to be waiting in line or anything like that, and they got gondolas to every point on the mountain, so. You can warm up with friends and you can do the down the, you can get, take a, it's called the beer can tram and it goes up to the peak and it, it's the start of the men's downhill that they, in the first 500 feet hit 80 miles an hour. So you can do that lap. I mean, nice. really feel like a true Olympian, but ski three pass is great. And then ski city. So Salt Lake city, which is home to four resorts, solitude, Brighton, Alta and snowbird. They, um, are offering a promo during the month of dis- November and December. And I don't have all the details um, per se, but I would go on to skicity.com um, and find out. But it's with lodging in, in the Valley. I think you get free lift tickets to the four resorts, um, which is a pretty incredible deal. Uh, but I know it's it's only during this, this upcoming month um, where you have to book to get those lift tickets. Wow. That's an awesome deal. Yeah. So that's skicity.com. Okay. Yeah. And then I think that's, uh, that might be it for kind of like our big promos, but you know, this, this, this area kind of has a fun vibe. Everything's so close together. So, you can kind of, it's fun to kind of be able to bounce around. If you really want a cool experience, um, you can ski six resorts in one day through the Ski Utah Interconnect Tour, where you can start at Deer Valley in the morning and ski. You go out with two guides uh, through our program, and you're able to use the chairlifts to get up and ski the back side of the mountains, and you'll hit, and so you get a little taste of the backcountry as well. Um, it, you ski Deer Valley, Park City, Solitude, Brighton, Alta, and Snowbird all in one day. Shuttle back around, lunches included. Um, obviously, obviously everything's weather dependent, but it's a it's a great great day. Long and that, day. That ends over in Snowbird, right? Correct. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I was looking to do that last year, but unfortunately, we had a kind of a rainy, lousy day when we were there, so we didn't didn't make it happen this past year. But I still want to do that because that looks like an absolute blast. Yeah, it's a little. It shows you how close these these mountains are to each other. That do you need to be a certain level of skier to do that tour? 
Uh, yes, we recommend. So it's kind of we recommend you being an advanced year um, is kind of our our go to language. But if you're an intermediate skier that is uh, in shape, you can get through everything. Okay. Because there is some hiking and and you know a little bit of technical stuff, but um, but it's it pretty mellow skiing, and a lot of it is on the front side, and you get to use the chairlifts for some, most of it, and um, but then you have some out of bounds skiing as well. So you want you want to be want people to be that kind of intermediate advanced skier. Yeah, at least be comfortable in case things get a little a little not dicey, but a little uh, a little more well, fun. It's all, it's at the back country, so everything's a little variable. You know, there's not it's not groomed slopes, so you just have to be able to be uh, able to be on your you know a, a person who can uh, deal with variable terrain. Um, but we've been running the program now. We're going into our thirty fourth year, and we've never had one back country issue. So, oh, that's good. <laughs> so I know you've got a hard stop in a couple minutes. Um, any other final thoughts? Anything else you want to share uh, regarding Utah and Ski Utah in the upcoming season? You guys are getting fired up next week, right? We are. We are. I was just going to say, yeah, the only thing I'd love to tie in, well, two things. One is uh, we have our mountains are opening next week tentatively, November 17th. Brian Head and Park City are opening. Usually Brian kind of tries to snag the win, and we'll, we'll come out <laughs> a day or two before that. After that, Alta, Snowbird, Snow Basin are opening up on November 22nd. So we'll have, you know, half of our resorts opening open for Thanksgiving. Uh, uh, Deer Valley, Solitude open up the following weekend. Sundance the weekend after that. Um, and then Eagle Point uh, kind of the weekend after that. So we'll everybody will be up and running for Christmas week. Uh, Powder Mountain and Beaver still kind of rely on Mother Nature heavily. Um, and that's what makes them so awesome. <laughs> but so they kind of keep everything kind of TBD on when they're opening. Cause it just, it's just a matter of storms, but Beaver got 24 inches over the last couple over the last day and a half. So they're well on their way to kind of opening up. Um, and then lastly, I wanted to call out just our passport program. And I, I probably should have brought this up in our, in our earlier, uh, talks when we were talking about deals, but, we run, Ski Utah runs a passport program for fifth and sixth graders. Uh, fifth graders for a processing fee of $35. Fifth graders receive three free lift tickets to all 14 resorts in the state. And sixth graders receive one free lift ticket to all 14 resorts in the state. So if you are an outsider looking to, to visit Utah this winter and you have a fifth or sixth grade student, apply and help and, get, and just use it to get to a couple of resorts while you're here. So those fifth or sixth graders, they can be from any state, right? They don't have to be going to school in Utah. Correct. We Obviously, we focus a lot of this on our local market, and that's where 90% of the people apply. But because most of our resorts are on uh, forest service land, which are the U.S. forest service land, we cannot limit it to just locals. Ah, very cool. Well, that's a lot of great information. Uh, so, Paul, thank you very much. And you guys have a little bit of snow on the ground, right? So has, have you tried to go out and, and sneak any turns in yet this season or still a little too early? No, I, you know, I'm, I'm there for the long haul. I, uh, <laughs> I don't like to kind of play with fire, I guess. This is a little too early for me. Nothing uh, worse than getting hurt 
before, when it's a little bit too soon, right? Exactly. I mean, we all know those, about those friends who have those stories. Exactly. So I'm waiting until the lifts open and, and everything looks good out there and we get a couple storm, a couple more storms and, but I'll be out there on opening day for sure. All right. Awesome. And we can get more information, skiutah.com, right? Please. Yep. That's the place. All right. Excellent. Well, Paul, thank you so much. Uh, I really do appreciate taking the time and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again down the road. Yeah, definitely. We'll talk soon. All right. Excellent. All right. So I hope you guys enjoyed the interview. We'll have links uh, in the show notes to some of the things that Paul was talking about. As more information, check it out. Skibumpodcast.com. Nice. And now it is time. Under the ropes. Let's go under the ropes, man. It's it's time. We've been waiting all, all waiting all summer. We're going under the ropes. <laughs> um, all right, start us up. So first up, Boston Dynamics. They have a back flipping robot now. So have you watched these videos yet? <laughs> no, I queued it up. I didn't watch it because uh, I didn't watch it yet. But I read I read the article on it, and it's pretty goddamn cool. So uh, if anybody doesn't know, like DARPA is an organization. I forgot what that stands for, but they do all these challenges for like uh, the self-driving car, the uh, a lot of robot things where they have these challenges. And I guess, you know, people can win the challenges if you're the first to develop something, you know, that meets that challenge. So one of the challenges that they had um, back in 2015 was that um, – they were trying to get robots uh, to stop falling over, which is what happens. They fall over a lot and, you know, they, they make, you know, these two-legged, um, you know, humanoid robots and then they fall because the balancing mechanisms are, you know, they're still, you know, coming along. Uh, Boston Dynamics, they got their two-legged Atlas humanoid to do backflips and, uh, Everything I've read on this, they're saying it's incredible to watch that. People can't stop watching it. So Dude, most people I know can't do what this robot does. <laughs> so think about a Terminator robot doing backflips and, and chasing your ass down. That's like that's what everybody's thinking Well, about. showing the video, like it's, it's hopping up on these little boxes. You know, it's like jumping up, jumping down, jumping up. It does like, a, does like a 180 and it does the backflip. I'm like, what the hell? Oh man, I feel like this, dude, this I feel like this has progressed like really fast in the last five years. Yeah, I bet you it's been locked up in in some lab, and people knew they that it could do it. Yeah. So I'm thinking I'm a conspiracy. <laughs> or is this video fake? Fake news. It's all fake news. Yeah, I bet you it's some real dude to do this. Yeah, that's right. It's a dude in a costume. Yeah. He's, do, he's doing box jumps and then his backflip. Pay no attention to the man in the robot suit. <laughs> That's right. It's pretty creepy, though. Yeah, it's kind of creepy to see something be so lifelike, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because when you saw it back in the day, you'd have like Osimo, and he was like kind of kind of goofy and robot-y, but now it just... Lost in space with the little bubble guy walking up. It's like that was a robot. Yeah, R2-D2 kind of cruising on wheels. Yeah. This thing is just moving really... Really human-like. Even C-3PRO is kind of like robotic movements, like he's doing the robot the whole time. But yeah. you know, doing backflips or anything like that. Bangs out a backflip, yeah. It's it's a little bit creepy, but yeah. Eh, we'll see how this all ends up. Yeah, that's pretty funny. All right, next up, 
The 3,000-mile-long bike lane will let you ride from Maine to Florida. Nice. I know what I'm riding. So this is up, in, up your alley here, Mario. That's it. So it says if you ride 50 miles a day, you can do the entire trail in less than two months. But they have to finish it first. <laughs> so when are so, they going to finish this bad boy? So this is called the East Coast Greenway. Um, and so far, 850 miles exist. And another 200 should be in place by 2020. Nice. Yeah. Um, so instead of funding the scheme directly, the East Coast Greenway Alliance helps local groups do the work, which takes advantage of local knowledge, gives locals ownership of their stretch, and decentralizes the work. Hmm. Much of the East Coast Greenway already exists. Small paths along riversides or following disused railway lines dot the East Coast, and much of the work to, is to bring these sections up to code and connect them all together. The rules are fairly simple. The path must be strong enough for a full-loaded touring bike and wide enough for safe passing, around 10 feet. Nice. So, yeah, so it's pretty. It's a pretty cool, pretty cool um, project. And you can see, if you look at the pictures, which we'll post in the show notes, like if you're in New York City, it goes like the George Washington Bridge, you know, like that bike lane there. That's part of it. Wow. So, yeah, it's... Uh, it kind of mirrors the Appalachian Trail a bit, but obviously it's a little bit longer because it goes all the way to Florida instead of stopping at Georgia. Nice. Well, in Florida, I've ridden, I did it two weeks ago, I did the Suncoast uh, Trail. And what that does, it runs north and south. Um, and it goes all the way up to... Trying to think, somebody told me it goes past like Spring Hill, like almost all the way up to Florida. So it's probably going to connect to that eventually. Um, but that already exists and it goes all the way down to like downtown Tampa. So you could ride literally, you go 20 miles towards downtown Tampa and end up there, or you can go all the way north. They say you can go like 40 miles north, which is pretty, pretty impressive. So you could ride, if you started at the one end, you, you, it's like 60 miles of, of road that's out there. Oh, wow. And it's along the highway, but it's, you know, offset. So you're just riding and you go past like, you know, lakes and, and all sorts of cool stuff. And it's like, it's nice, you know, it's a little bit uh, too quiet, you know, for somebody that's used to being, you know, riding on the streets and stuff like that. Uh, but it's definitely a lot safer and it's, it's pretty cool. People, people run on it too. So it's neat. So it's, it's separate from the road, right? Like it's yeah protected lanes. Yeah, usually it's uh, the lanes are a little bit higher and this is a little bit lower and it's way off to the side. So you see the highway, but you're not close to it at all. So it's pretty neat. And there's like a fence there. It's like all gated out. Um, and they actually have, it's almost like every tenth of a mile, they have these, um, it looks like they were printed up and they, and they, you know, they heat glued them. They're like made out of some material that, uh, but they're like little posters and it has a mile marker where you are, or it's like a, a call number and it has the number for the police. So if anything happens, you can call them and give them that number and they know exactly where you're on the trail. Oh, that's pretty nifty. So, yeah, cause it's very, like I said, it's very secluded. So if you're a runner and you're running out there and something happens, God forbid, or somebody's chasing you or you hurt yourself, I mean, you can just call and they'll, you know, send somebody right away, right away, which is kind of cool. Oh, nice. 
Very uh, cool. Yeah, this is pretty neat. I like that. East Coast Greenway Alliance. Yeah, that should be fun to ride one day. Yeah, definitely. So. All right. Next all right. up. Uh, next up we have, and I, I think about, I don't know why, Brian, but I think about you when I, when I, when I think about this. Uh, so to avoid traffic, this guy swims to work. So <laughs> in Munich, Germany. I love this guy already. <laughs> resident Benjamin David hated sitting in traffic on his way to his job at a beer garden. So he had an awesome job and a shitty commute. Uh, how do you know it was awesome? It's, it's a beer garden. Yeah, but you got to deal with a lot of drunken idiots there if you're working at a beer garden. That's true. That's true. So is he, he could be a janitor at the beer garden. Is that a great hey, job? Really? Hey, so the way I have this story is he has his dream job at the beer garden. <laughs> so instead of hopping into a car or a bike, he said, screw it, man. I'm going to put on a wetsuit, jump in the river, and swim to work every day. So he does a daily commute. Uh, via via swimming, which is pretty cool. I got to say, it's a good workout, right? Well, here again, another question. So it's great probably as you're swimming into the beer garden, you're swimming to, to work. But mm. What about if you've had a couple of beers after work? How is swimming home? Ooh, you might uh, not make it home then, huh? That could be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's pretty crazy. He actually has. So... Um, he actually has a set of clothes and his laptop that he carries with him in a waterproof bag. So it floats along with him on the way, you know, on his commute, which I guess if he gets tired, he could just hold on to that and ride down the river. I wonder if he has like a, like a mini grappling hook. If like a boat comes by, he can nice. like fire onto the fire, the grappling hook on there and, uh, have it pull him. You know, the problem with this though, it's, if if this is is a pretty good idea, he's gonna get a lot of traffic in the water now because people are like, yeah, that's a good idea. I'm gonna do it too, just like Seinfeld, right? Just like Seinfeld. <laughs> so I keep thinking of you because I'm like, you could just swim to work. You're you know, instead of taking the ferry, you swim. I wonder how long that would take me. I would Dude, probably that, die. You would probably die. That's a long ass. I'd probably die. It's at how? least twenty miles. God damn. Well, what yeah. do they do in the Iron Man? They do like two miles. Five miles? I don't think it's more than that, right? I think two miles, yeah. See, yeah, so I would definitely die. Yeah, <laughs> that's... That's, uh, that's the long and the short of it. Well, in the Ironman, they're saying how to break one hour in the swim. So it's a pretty far... It's a pretty far swim. So they're saying... Well, they're, they're giving hints on, on what time you have to... What pace you gotta, you gotta swim at. But, Don't be super fat. That always helps. Yeah, that kind of kind of does help, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so let's see. Iron Man. All right, they're saying it's two point four mile swim. Two point four mile. Okay. So you're probably going twenty miles. I think that's probably going to be too advanced to swim. Oh yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, running twenty miles is hard enough. Swimming it, I think, is nearly, nearly impossible unless you're <laughs> a well-trained swimmer. Yeah, and I'm not that. <laughs> you could be buoyant. You could try to get more buoyant and just kind of float. And... That's true. <laughs> I think 2018 could be the year of Brian Buoyancy. Brian Buoyancy. <laughs> Boom. There you go. Yep. Yeah, you're gonna have to watch. You're gonna have to keep your workouts going. You got the baby now. 
Oh man. It's getting tougher, I need, right? I need sleep, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I ain't going to the gym. I'm going to sleep. I actually have been, but I've been, I've been, it's been hurting going to the gym. Yeah. yeah. But you know, I'm still pushing through today. Had a nice hard leg day, you know, nice. squats, deadlifts, jump lunges, leg presses, half an hour of cardio. So oh, nice. I'm still trying to make it happen. And you know what suffers my work. So, you know, <laughs> it's sacrifices have to be made. That's right. Yep. Well, don't break your rib like your buddy, Nick, right? Oh, Nick, rest in peace. Shout out. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, man, he had a, a really, uh, it was a high intensity Zumba class and he messed up his, his rib. So his ribs, one rib. Yeah. yeah. Watch, watch your Zumba people. Cause you could break a rib. Our friend Nick did it. It's true. You get some sassy, uh, sassy person spinning around in circles with their elbow out and you kind of turn into it and just boom thud. happens in slow motion and that's it. Now you're jeopardizing your ski your uh your your ski trips yep but Not he'll good. come through it he'll come through i think he stopped doing zumba and he's gonna actually do real work <laughs> all right yeah <laughs> cool all right and the final story of the week there was a great article that came out this past week uh, in rolling stone about elon musk the architect of tomorrow and this was by neil strauss who's a, a famous writer he's done things like the um what was it the uh, the pickup artists handbook and he did that other one about like uh is it like survive or rescue that had us you know if you're in like a life or death situation like how to how to you know, survive so he did a, a really nice article on elon and one of my favorite parts of it was the beginning and it kind of he's just kind of hanging out with him at the spacex headquarters and he said the most telling thing, there's a framed poster of a shooting star with a caption underneath that reads, when you wish upon a falling star, your dreams can come true. Unless it's really a meteor hurling to the earth, which will destroy all life. Then you're, we're all pretty much hosed, no matter what you wish for, unless it's death by meteorite. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> You see that shooting star, like, oh, that's nice. Then you... It's coming right for us. <laughs> At least you can't miss it. Yeah. Yeah. And then it says, to most most people, this would be a mere dark humor, but in this setting, it's also a rind- reminder of Elon Musk's master plan to create habitats for humanity on other planets and moons. Nice. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is a real concern if you think about, like, you know, how can we exist if, if there's an extinction event on the Earth? Like, we're in jeopardy as a species. Yeah, completely. And that's, yeah, again, part of the reason why he's trying to colonize Mars and put space stations on the moon so that we can get off uh, if any one of those sort of, you know, events occurs. It's pretty cool, though. Like, the, the article's nice. It, it kind of really humanizes him, too. He mm. talks a lot about how he just broke up with his girlfriend, who I think was that Amber Heard, that crazy chick who was dating Johnny Depp before. Oh, yeah. Like the restraining order and everything against him. Oh, nice. And he said he was you know, really bummed out and hates being alone and doesn't, like, doesn't want to be alone and is trying to find someone. So it was uh, yeah, yeah, it just, very, works too very humanizing. Yeah. yeah, it's the thing. He just needs someone to be there for him. You know, like... Let me do my thing, but just be there when I come home. 
Well, think about like with his schedule, I think, cause you and I both read that, that book. Right. And they were saying in there something like he was thinking about getting a girlfriend, but he's like, how much time do I have to commit? Like 10 hours a week, like 14 hours a week. It's like, if you yeah. think about it, he's so busy. He's like, I don't have much time at all. Like I got to fit a relationship into just a handful of hours a week, you know? Well, he's so like uh, analytical and, and engineering minded. That's kind of how he, he plays it out in his head. He's like, okay, well, I'll be working, you know, 94 hours of the week. I have to sleep for, you know, 40 <laughs> hours a week. It's like, well, how can I squeeze? I have, I have 11 hours I can squeeze in for a girlfriend. Right. Right. That's just how he breaks it all down very logically, very, you know, linearly. So, well, if you double up half of your work events, like the, the, um, you know, big work events that you, you know, you go to, you could, you know, double that with a date, <laughs> go to work dinner, bring your date, you know? That's true. Yeah. There's ways to be flexible with that, but yeah, he, uh, that's what he's trying to do. That's wild. But again, it's just talking about all the projects. You know, just uh, they just unveiled the semi this past week, the uh, yeah. electric semi. That looks pretty cool. Yeah. And then uh, Mario, you're picking up one of those new roadsters, then, right? Dude, I just gotta do the money transfer, and and it's reserved. <laughs> Is that a Nigerian prince gonna put the download the down uh, payment down oh, for you? Again? You know what? I gotta reach out to him because they, you know, I gave him my social security number. <laughs> And he hasn't put the money in my account yet. So I should probably reach out back out to him and see if that's going to happen. Cause he said any day now, right? It's going to clear. Any day. He's been saying that for like two years, but I really think it's any day now. Um, dude, that guy's legit. He's his word is his bond. Dude, I'm going to get $200 million for giving him, you know, 5,000. That's not bad. That's a quite a nice return. Good return. And I figure we'll buy, uh, we'll buy matching high flute and ski bum, uh, roadster 2.0s. One orange and one blue, right? Yeah, with the logo on the side. It'll be yeah. pretty 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 sweet. And then we're gonna have to get them to develop a Tesla special Tesla ski holder. Ah. Uh. Because you gotta put the uh, you know you gotta put the skis on that baby. Well, I think we should be the first ones to put those uh like all terrain treads on there. Oh, oh there you go. Well we'll have to have a third one for that. Because we'll have to have <laughs> one for one. regular driving and we might as well get the founders edition uh with the treads on it. That That's the way to cool. go, I think. I, I think it is. That's the proper gentleman way to go, I believe. That's right. You got the glass roof. You got, you know, the treads on that bad boy. We just zipping up the mountain. I like it. That'd be kind of cool. People are like, I just saw a Tesla while I was skiing. <laughs> well, what, could you get the semi and like kind of, you know, back out of it like oh. Knight Rider did? Like Kit? <laughs> Dude, put the treads on the semi. Take that shit up the mountain. Yeah, you can like live in the semi. Yeah, like semi would be like your your headquarters on wheels. Did you got to you got to get him to do a snowcat, a Tesla snowcat. That would be the best thing ever. It's not a far cry from a semi. Now you got the body style, right? Right. Yeah. Just, just slap on the treads. Yeah, it's still a lot of extra welding. Put the big thing on the front. You know the the scoop on the front. The plow. Yeah. The plow. Start pushing out, pushing around some snow. I guess the only problem would be would be the solar bit of it. I guess you want to keep it powered, you know, through solar charging. But oh, yeah. Have battery packs on it. Yeah, I guess because most of the snow catting is done at night. Yeah, so, it's, it's sitting outside anyway, so you just put out the solar charging panels. charging up, yeah. We have is retractable solar panels, so they, they lay out over 
as almost like a cover and it just kind of gets the sun all day. What about ski onable solar panels? Like what if the mountain is just like reinforced with solar panels? That's a good idea. That so could you, work. Yeah. Or something, some sort of regenerating, like, you know, some of those brakes they have, how when you, when you break on them, the energy is like recaptured and then reused to power the batteries. Yeah. Something that when you're driving the snowcat, it could regenerate that power and put it back in the battery. Well, I'm sure the semi is going to have a huge battery in it. So if you take that battery, put in the snowcat, now that gives you a battery source. What you do is you have a Tesla roof on the, on the, um, you know, all the uh, facilities, the facility houses that they have, and you plug in the snowcats to the, uh, to those. Hmm. Let them generate the power and, and charge up the snowcats. Yeah. Like the power walls. Yeah. Just big Put power those in place. Could happen. That's that not a cow, terrible move. That and cow pow. You have it all, all set. Cow pow. I think, yeah, the, the cows in Vermont and Elon Musk would work together. Oh, solar cows. <laughs> solar cows. There you go. <laughs> That'd be nice. Solar backflipping cows. We could get the... Uh, the DARPA know, folks. The DARPA folks. To Combine the, all the stories, right? Boston Dynamics make like a, a, a flipping apparatus for a cow. With all that energy the cow is using, it can be going to the solar panels or into the power wall that powers the snowcats. Perfect. See? Yeah. Like we're going with this. I, I like where it's going. I'm going to have to draw some uh, diagrams, maybe send them to Elon Musk. <laughs> be like, can you please stop sending me these goddamn retarded <laughs> drawings? <laughs> I will have you shot. <laughs> I have the ability. <laughs> if I take you out, humanity would be a lot better off because your ideas are stupid. <laughs> I think it's a winner. He might, he might actually steal my idea. Yeah. I got to be careful. I got to make sure that I have a record of everything I sent to him because he might want to use that one day. We got it all documented here on the podcast. Tesla cows, man. Tesla cows. Tesla cows. Get have a chart. You could charge from the cow. <laughs> cow chargers. So this Tesla Roadster they announced this past week, it's apparently going to be the quickest car in the world. Do 250 plus miles an hour. Record setting acceleration and performance. This uh, zero to 60 in under two seconds, 1.9 plus 250 mile an hour top speed and 620 miles range. Damn. That's what blows my mind. Cause it's a small car and they have all the batteries in the, the kind of the, the chassis of the car. So the bigger cars, bigger chassis, more batteries can fit. Yeah. This one, I mean, I don't know where they're putting them. Well, they they keep working on that battery technology, making it better. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's true. Think about this: you can go 620 miles without stopping and go 250 miles an hour the entire time. <laughs> yeah, that I don't think you can. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to see that. That'd be pretty amazing. Just go you can only go for two minutes at 250 <laughs> miles an hour. Yeah, right. Especially up in up in the northeast. You well, think about your there. range. Well, think about the range. If you're doing 250 miles an hour for two minutes, it's 500 miles. So your range can't be much more than that. That's true. That's true. Ipso facto. Ipso facto. So that'll get you. That'll get you moving. Wait, though. no, no, no. That's wrong. 250 miles an hour. So two hours. Yeah, two hours of driving. It's not bad. Yeah, two hours and change. Okay. 
And 620, um, Vermont's from you is like what? 280? 280. So you can go up to Boston, like how far is Boston? Boston's a little bit further. You could probably make it in Boston in like two hours. Cranking away at 250? Yeah, but you get less than that. You probably yeah. do it in like an hour and a half. Yeah. I think you have like special lanes for for electric cars where there's no speed limit. Ah, oh, that'd be great. Well, that's the next step. Eventually, he's going to come out with, we need an American Autobahn. We just, no speed limit, just across the, across the U.S. Yeah. It'll be all Tesla We'll be, a, we'll be a flying cars by that, that time. Uh, you have a Tesla-only toll, toll road. It's either yeah, right? you pay a crap load of money or you have a Tesla and you go free. That would be kind of cool. That I could see. Yep. Yeah. The, the Musk Highway. <laughs> Well, they they are digging the Hyperloop from uh, the the Boston one, right? I'm not sure if that actually is happening or not. I think they, they still need approvals or something. No, they There's tweeted out. out. They tweeted out pictures. Of, oh, maybe it's the one out in um, the LA one. I think it's out west. Yeah. Yeah, because they tweeted out pictures of it, and they said, I guess they were they were they did like 500 feet or something like that, or 500 yards of like a test. Thing and they, they were like, yeah, now we can actually move a lot faster. So it'd be pretty cool to see it go. That'll be cool, yeah. Yeah, the Hyperloop. We're getting there. Baby steps, but he wants to move fast, and I like his idea. Yep, he's he's a bold man, and he will take us to wherever and whatever we evolve into. So, Well, I was checking out the, the Tesla stuff, and I looked up SpaceX, and I didn't realize that Zuma is uh the next i guess the zuma project is what they call it and it's uh tesla was gonna not tesla uh spacex was gonna put up a a rocket uh this past week and they delayed the launch so i'm kind of looking at like when it's gonna go up but then i came across the uh the um the falcon heavy which is their biggest rocket that is going to come out and they're going to do the first launch of it in december is what the plan is they said after december but they haven't announced the date so uh, I definitely have to try to see if I can go watch that because that'd be kind of cool. That would be really cool, yeah. So it's it holds like more than double the payload of any rocket out there. It's crazy. Is that definitely happening in Florida? Yeah, Cape Canaveral. They have it scheduled for. <clears throat> so it's funny when they started out, they had to uh, launch off of like the remote island, and they couldn't get you know they couldn't get because all the other you know contractors had everything locked up at all the other launch sites and now it's like yeah they can launch from anywhere they want now dude you need to get over there and somehow sneak in and get a highfalutin ski bum sticker on the rocket oh dude that would be great right holy shit you got up dude i'm gonna walk in there with spray paint just like spray paint our logo on the side of that bad boy <laughs> oh like stencils like a, <laughs> like a big like banksy <laughs> that's it i'll do a banksy right on the side of it <laughs> oh that'd be awesome i'll banksy that rocket Dude, that'd be hilarious if there was a Banksy on that rocket. That would be awesome, right? (laughs) Like sneak in there. You got to make it out of like paint that changes. You know what you do is is you put, you paint it on there and then you put like, like a, like a temporary like cover on it that's white. So it looks like it's all part of the rocket. And then when it goes up, that temporary thing will just fly off. And then you got (laughs) your logo right there. (laughs) That'd be awesome. That would be the best. I gotta get a job at SpaceX. That could happen. 
I gotta, I gotta get a job at SpaceX painting the, uh, the outside. Yeah. 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 I just paint everything. Don't worry about it. I'm good. I'm I good. Work, I work at night when nobody's around. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. That'd be funny. Or have it like if it gets wet or whatever, just, you know, the stuff washes off and you got your logo right under. There you go. Now, if, if anybody at SpaceX is listening, just be on the lookout then. But if you're not listening, it's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I guess that about wraps up the old podcast for this week. It's Thanksgiving week. So everyone have a wonderful Thanksgiving. We'll be back probably next week. Um, yeah, be, I think so. Going to be getting turns in pretty soon. So. It's yeah. not, the resorts are starting to open snow is on the ground so things are getting very exciting so please check out the website skibonepodcast.com we'll have all the information in the show notes and also a big thank you to Paul from Ski Utah for taking the time to sit yeah, down thanks, with Paul. me for the interview and check us out on facebook.com slash podcast, instagram.com slash podcast, twitter.com slash podcast. We are on Pinterest as the Highfalutins, and we are in SoundCloud as Highfalutin dash ski bum. So with that, stay high, stay falutin. <laughs> See ya.